Now, there's all kinds of problems with that. The fact that the government is, is doing this, which really the government is. It's not, it's not the, the, the uh, health companies first. It's not medical and, and medicines and all that stuff. First, this is the government that's first been doing this. But uh, this is just, we're in a very bad place as a country. And, uh, and we need to be careful. This is why I keep saying this next stage of this is going to be the, um, the monkey pox or whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. The government is going to try to control and, and shut us down again and try to manipulate us again. And this is where somehow we've got to convince the people that are in positions of, of ownership of, of businesses and things like that, stand up against this. Stand up against this. I mean, we can do this as a church. We did this as a church. We didn't close because of, of COVID. But we're, we're, a, we're a small voice in a big uh, cacophony. And so we, we really need to, to think about how we can interact with other people about this. So I'm going to give you some things that could be cons- perceived as being uh, conspiracy theory stuff. But I just don't think it is. I think, well, part of the reason, this is not, this is not just a guess that I'm making. This comes from um, watching much of the uh, World Economic Forum stuff quite a few weeks ago, three or four weeks ago or something like that. And basically in the World Economic Forum, these, these uh, liberal elitists came out and, and said very blatantly, very um, obtuse about this, that, that uh, they control the world. They will make the world into their image. That is an exact quote, that this is going to be what they want to accomplish with the peoples of the world, and the people of the world basically just need to get in line with this. Now, why is that important? Because they talked about controlling um, financial markets, controlling carbon um, emissions, I mean, carbon uh, footprints and and emissions and all kinds of stuff. They went down all this list that they're going to control agriculture, they're going to control governments, but they are not concerned with, with... world boundaries, and this is why our southern border becomes such a contentious issue. It's not whether people are coming across it. It's whether or not there is a border, and they want a world with no borders because they can control everybody then. A small handful of people will control the whole world, and presidents and and congresses and, and, and parliaments will mean nothing, and they made this very clear in the World Economic Forum recently. Okay, this is not secret. This is not conspiracy. This is, this is, the rest of this comes from what I believe is the product of that. Um, I have a list, and I can email it to you if you'd like, but I have a list of 62 um, food processing plants, um, uh, agricultural-type companies, grain elevators, all kinds of These are major warehouses, distribution centers, all kinds of major, major stuff that all has to do with our food systems that have all had, within the last year and a half, most of them within the last six months, 62 of them, that doesn't happen in a decade or two normally, that have been destroyed by fire. Two of them have had planes crash into them. Um, Explosions, don't know where it happened, why it happened, all this kind of stuff. But our food industry has has been undercut greatly to the point of almost being crippled. And the most important one is the largest pork producer has moved out of California with no expectation of where they're going to land. Did you hear what I said? Pork. Are you following me? This is serious. Bacon. So, I joke about that, but this, this isn't coincidence. 
um, all of the gas prices, not coincidence. Pe- people always try to attribute the gas prices to this or whatever. And, and um, here's the reality. The, a lot of the news media and everybody else will try to say, well, the president really doesn't have anything to do with gas prices. That's stupid when you say that. Okay? Under Obama, gas prices were approaching $4. Under Trump, $1.75 a gallon, and we were exporting oil, putting it in the reserves and exporting. Now we're taking out of reserves at very quick rates, and gas is over $4 a gallon, and we have cut down all drilling. We're not allowing Keystone pipelines, all this kind of stuff, and we are becoming dependent upon uh, more. We're already dependent upon foreign oil, but becoming more dependent. These kind of things have consequences. Now, I think there is a bigger picture, and this is with a conspiracy mentality. I think this is all part of the thing. I think the agricultural stuff, I think the food stuff, I think it's all part of a plan. It's a system. Um, the whole gas stuff, it's a system. They're, Biden is pushing uh, electric cars like crazy, Chevy, mostly Chevy, electric cars. Well, here's the thing. If it really was about um, uh, emissions or about better for the planet or whatever the case is, then why is he completely silent on the fact that Tesla is the best car out there? Tesla were quiet on Chevy that goes 200 miles, they're pushing I saw a commercial yesterday for Lexus electric car. I was like, I'm just going to see. And I looked it up right then. Only goes 200 miles. Tesla goes like 47 bazillion. (laughs) But here's the thing. Elon Musk has kind of started acting like a conservative, so he's not allowed to be part of the system. Because this is a game. The higher gas prices get, the more you're going to want electric cars. This is a game. That, that very rich elitists are playing with our lives. And the vaccine is part of this. The control is part of this. And if you think I'm a conspiracy theorist, that's fine. I, you'll figure it out too late. But either way. I did see something also this week. I did want to make sure I mentioned this. Because this one is as big as anything I've heard um, in, in, in political mentalities. And, and being the highly financial uh, political person that I am, I need to explain this stuff to you. Um, In South Texas, you guys hear about this? Um, In one of the strongest Democrat districts for decades and decades, almost almost all or very predominantly Hispanic area of South Texas has been controlled by the Democrats just for the first time ever voted a Republican woman in. She was born in Mexico and she is pro-family, pro-God, pro-life, pro-gun, pro-all good things. And they just voted in. Here's the thing. I, for about five or six years, I lived in El Paso. Um, I also, the very first church I was lead pastor of was about 70, 75% Hispanic. Okay, now here's the thing with this. I'm very connected with and have been very connected with the Hispanic um, uh, community, culture for years and years. And years. It's been a major part of my life. And I have always noticed that the Hispanic people and culture are very conservative. Abortion is a no-no in a strong Catholic background Hispanic community. But the Democrats have been lying to them for decades, and they're starting to wake up and say, wait a second, this is not who we are. This is not who we are. And by the way, I think that is a sign of something that is spreading all across the United States. People are, people are saying, wait a second, this is not what we believe. That's powerful. So, today's Father's Day. 
I'm excited about this. Um, I did want, <clears throat> could all the guys that showed up in the same shirt, could you guys stand up real quick? <clears throat> <laughs> uh, there was some more in first service, too. So here is what happened. A bunch of the wives got together and tricked them. And I don't know about you, but that what makes my heart warm. That I love the fact that all these guys look exactly alike. In fact, I couldn't tell them apart. The only way I could tell most of them apart is some of them have a lot of hair here and not here. Some of them have hair here. And, you know, that's how you tell them apart. So... So Father's Day, guys, I really want you to internalize some stuff here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push you a little bit this morning. Um, it, I don't think you're going to disagree with the stuff I'm saying, but it's the, it's the practical application of it that becomes challenging. Not, not impossible, but sometimes it becomes challenging because of kind of who we are as men, right? But I, I believe these three things very strongly. God designed you to be a man from conception, to be a man. Male, God said he created male and female, not all this in-between stuff that this rebellious society is trying to pull. God created you male. He created you to be a man. He gives you a chance as a boy to figure that out, but he created you to be a man. And that is being, that is being eroded in our society today. Uh, anytime you say something like that, it gets, it gets pushed back. What does it mean to be a man? Like, like somehow being a man means you're going around like attacking people or hitting your wife or stuff like that. It's not, that's not a, being a man. That's just a jerk. You can be a male or female and do that stuff. But here's what, here's what we want to really grab onto is God designed you to be a man, to be manly. And I also believe to teach your boys to be men. I'm not just adult males, but men. Teaching to be men. I'll get to that more. God designed you to be a husband from conception. Okay? You say, well, what about people that are not husbands? You, you still got the stuff inside of you. You still got the, the, the traits and all the things. And to be able to understand how to utilize that and to, to um, help other people benefit from how God has designed you to be. I'll get more to more of that. In the same way with this, God designed you to be a father from conception. He built this in you. He put, put certain things within you that gives you the ability to be a father. And he didn't put the same things in moms. And he just didn't. Moms and dads are not the same. They're not ever going to be the same. And it's very difficult. It's not impossible because God is big and he brings grace and mercy. But it's very difficult for a single parent to instill all the things in their children that they need to that, that come from the other, um, the other sex. Because it's not how God designed it. This is why Satan attacks marriage so much. This is why he attacks um, the family uh, concept. I, I, I've mentioned this before, but Thomas Sowell, Thomas Sowell is one of my heroes. Um, he's in his 90s now, and he's, and he's written like 93 or 94 books or something. You should really get a good place to start is the Thomas Sowell reader. Um, you get a lot of good information in there. But Thomas Sowell was an, was an economist and uh, really teaches a lot about... Um, the different concepts around the world, different ideologies. And he is, um, he's a black man, talks a lot about the black community, um, talks a lot about um, the, the family, the black family. And one of the, some of the things he talks about is how when he was a kid, he grew up in Harlem, he would go to the library 
And he said that's where he spent most of his time. And then he would come home late at night after the, when the library closed, and it was dark in Harlem, and he walked blocks and blocks and blocks to his home. He said, we didn't have the crime and the crazy stuff that is Harlem now. He said, we didn't have that. He said, in the, in the black communities, they were more godly, more conservative, more family-oriented than the white communities. And he gives all these statistics about this, that there were more fathers at home in, in the black communities than in the white communities, that, that abortion was less in the black communities than the white communities. He can, give you, he can give you books and books of statistics about this stuff. He said, but there came a point where the government began to encroach upon an entire people group, and they began to tell this people group, you have to have help because you're not as good. You're not as special. You're not as smart. All these things. And they began to push um, welfare mentalities, even before it was called welfare. Um, but this is, this is FDR did this to us. And push all these welfare mentalities, and within 10 years, and Thomas Sowell documents all this. Within 10 years, everything had shifted, and all of a sudden, the black communities became less fathers around. More brokenness, more crime, more immorality. And it was being pushed. Why? Because Satan does not like it when, when a father recognizes their responsibility. As a youth pastor years ago, I, I did this study. And um, the goal was, the reason I did this study is because um, I, I really believed that the, the youth ministry was the key to ministry within the kingdom of God. And that um, if you have good youth ministry, everything else, because I was a youth pastor, everything else will work out. And, the, and these are basically, these are the basic numbers. I don't remember exactly the statistics um, but I found out that when a, when a, ch a child gets saved, about 15 to 20% of the time, uh, the family members get saved. When a teenager gets saved, about 25 to 30% of the time, uh, family gets saved. When a mom gets saved, it goes all the way up to about 40% that the rest of the family gets saved. When a dad gets saved, it's over 80% of the time the rest of the family gets saved. So I shelved my statistics because I was the youth pastor, I wasn't the men's director. So... This, this is a reality. Dads, you have, you have so much, so much that God has given you. And I believe that a lot of the times in our Western culture, dads, we don't really, we don't really utilize, tap into, we don't even really recognize what God has done by, by making us dads. We say, yeah, I, I enjoy it for the most part, and, and, um, and you know, I like being a dad. But I'm saying there's so much more to it that you affect so many people on so many levels that you don't ever realize. And even if, even if you've never had children, God still created you to be a father, and there are people that you need to be fathering. Even if they're not your biological children, you need to be fathering people. Some of these people are grown adults, specifically if you're older. You need to be fathering some people. Even people with fathers, we could use three or four father-covering people. God has designed us this way. Genesis chapter 2, this is the first thing, in that fathers cover. We are designed by God to cover. 
to be this, this um, umbrella, to be this protection, to be this spiritual thing that I, I can, I'm not even going to read you some stuff that I don't even understand totally how it all works. It goes beyond my spiritual understanding and, and, and partly because of cultural understanding. But Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. This is before Eve was created. There's nowhere in Scripture that we see where God tells Eve, take care of the garden. <clears throat> it's not that she can't. It's not that Adam couldn't use the help. I don't know really what tending the garden meant, but he just doesn't tell Eve that. Eve didn't exist when he said this. So he tells Adam, I'm going to put you in charge of this whole thing. Then the Lord God said, this is a very important sentence for our Christian walk, all of us. <clears throat> then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. This is crucial. Because why? God is saying very intentionally with this sentence. Now, God is hanging out with Adam, right? He's walking in the garden with him. He's, Adam has a one-on-one -on -one personal relationship with the creator of everything. He's physically seeing him and talking to him. Okay? Then God says that Adam doesn't need to be alone, which means he's alone. He's lonely. He's alone and lonely, which, by the way, are not the same thing. I am often alone. I am very rarely lonely. But he says it's not good for you to be alone. God is saying very specifically here, Adam, I am not going to be, not because he can't, but I am not going to be everything you need to walk through life with. You're going to need people in your life. And specifically, a spouse. I'm going to put this person in your life. God, God knows that he, and, and, and it's not like he can't give us all the emotional and whatever we need. He can, but he specifically has chosen not to because he knows that for this to work for us, we have to need each other. And he says to Adam, You're good. it's not good for you to be alone because you are. I will make a helper who is just right. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals. You've heard me talk about this. He parades all the animals in front of Adam to make sure that Adam understands that these are not the helper. Right? And then, this is something that, that we miss sometimes. Adam, as the first man, as the, the first male, and eventually to be uh, Eve's husband, and then the first father, he puts all of creation in submission to them. He says... Um, he, brought, he brought all the animals to the man to see what he would call them, and a man chose a name for each one. Do you, do you realize it does not say that the animals resisted it or argued with him? It doesn't say that, that some chimpanzee said, No, Adam, I'm going to name you. And I don't like the name Adam. Baboons already used, so I'll use something else. We don't see that. We don't see that conversation go down. When all the animals came in front of Adam, they were in submission to Adam. 
Every one of them were in submission. The, the planet was in submission to Adam. It's not until they sinned that they gave up this authority to Satan, and Satan became the ruler of the world, is the way the Scripture says, or the king of the world. Th- that belonged to Adam before Adam and Eve sinned. And everything was in submission or in, under the covering of Adam. Adam names every one of the animals by himself. They are under his covering. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. Then God creates Eve. And Eve steps into the picture to be part of this this, um, covering that Adam has over all of this. Guys, I, I I don't think we get this very well. I don't think it's natural human nature to see this. In fact, I think natural male human nature kind of resists this, that you really are the covering. You're the covering of your family. Your family goes the way you go. And, and not because you're steamrolling over your wife and your children, but because you are this godly um, example of the heavenly father. You're the earthly father, and you're the covering. You're the one who... who, who, who um, who provides the, not just like provision of, of daily needs and stuff, but you actually give the provision. You're the one that names. You're the one that guides. You're the one that leads. And we, we miss that so much in today's society. In fact, I, I, just from my experience, the average father really allows mom to, or, or almost kind of makes mom do a lot of the stuff that he should be doing. Because it's easier. It's easier. Well, mom will take care of it. It's easier. Guys, we're the covering. This, this is one of the things that I did not understand. I, um, I don't, there's a lot of Jewish stuff in Scripture that I had to learn. I didn't understand it. I'm not Jewish. I had to get in Scripture, and I had to get in books, and I had to read this stuff. But, but here's one that jumped out at me early in life, and I didn't totally understand. I understand more of it now. But when it came time, Lynn and I started having children, got ready to name the children, I, I really thought through this because names in Scripture are very intentional. Nobody accidentally gets a name in Scripture. They get a name and it has a definition to it, and the child turns out the, what that name is. That, that's not coincidence. And it happens over and over. And then when you take into consideration that sometimes God changes these people's names to guide them in the direction that they need to be, that's, that's, that's astronomically, un, I don't get that. It, it goes beyond my scope of, of how I can name a child and that is who they are. But then scripture tells us when this is all said and done and we step into his presence eternally, that he gives us a new name. This, this one is... This one is absolutely amazing, and, I, and I'm, gonna, I'm putting a little speculation here, but I think this is based upon Scripture. Um, when he gives us the new name, when does he do it? Well, here's what I think he does, is when he opens the book of life, for me, in the book of life, it's not written Scott. That's my earthly name. That's the name that I was given, but it's not who I am. It's a name, but it's not me. My name that God gives me is actually me. 
And I believe at, at, the, at the throne of judgment, when he opens this and he reads my name, it's going to be the name that he has given me, and it's going to describe me beyond, it's not even a description, it is me. And everybody that hears my name will say, yes, that's him. And it will be different from anybody else's name, because I am different, I am unique. And he's going to say my name, and I step into eternity as that is who I am. And I'm looking forward to it, even like with my wife. My wife's name actually means, I don't think Scott means anything. I've looked it up a few times, and people like to sell the bookmarkers and stuff on it, and so it'll say, Scott, he's a cool guy. And so, but that, it doesn't really mean anything. Linda's name actually means beautiful. And, and I believe that is a description of my wife. I believe Linda's beautiful. But I can't wait till we get to that moment when he opens the book, and, and Linda's not going to be written there. I mean, she's going to be there, but it'll be her other name. She made it probably. But, but when he opens the book and he reads her name, it's going to be the name he has given her. And I know her better than anybody on this planet. And I'm going to know immediately, yeah, that's her. And so will all of you. Because that's the name God gives. See, I don't think we understand this enough, this father covering, that when we, that when we do things that we just kind of take for granted, like name our children or guide them or lead them, we don't put enough emphasis on this. We don't see the, the eternal. We just see the temporal. And we're, and we're limited to that so much. But God has a plan for you. And guys, you, you are the covering. You're the spiritual direction. This is why it is so important. If you're being lazy about this or you're not serving God the way you're supposed to or you're, you're, you're um, playing on the edge of sin or whatever the case is, it affects your children even if they don't know you're doing it because you're the spiritual covering. I've seen this so many times over the years. And when dads are involved in pornography, even if the children don't know it, the children become very over-sexualized and desensitized to this kind of stuff because it's spiritual that's spiritual stuff you're doing, and you're the covering. And so when the covering is breaking God's laws, commands, and things like that, it affects directly the spirituality and the walk of the children. We can't play around with this stuff. Dads that choose, ah, sometimes I'll go to church, sometimes I won't, ah, whatever, you know. Sometimes I'll serve God. That's, you're going the wrong direction. You're, you're, the covering is not good. You are called by God to be this spiritual leader within your house. So let, me, let me show you this in Genesis 27. This really is in the category. I don't totally understand it. I scripturally understand, theologically, cognitively. But in verse 30 of Genesis 27, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, so Isaac and his mother tricked Jacob and, um, and came in and got the blessing, the oldest son's blessing from Jacob, right? Esau should have got this blessing, but Jacob gets it. And so he comes in, and in fact, in one point, Isaac says, um, well, it sounds like Jacob. But, then, but Jacob had put in a, a piece of goat skin on his arm, hairy goat skin on his arm. So he sticks his arm out, and his dad fills the hairy goat skin, and he goes, oh, it's Esau. I would really like to see Esau. <laughs> I don't think there's a missing link, but he might be it. If, I mean, that had to have been one hairy guy. There's actually a scripture that says Esau was a hairy man. It says that. 
That's the scripture I always want when people are sitting around, young, immature Christians, sitting around saying, well, what has God got for us? And just let the Bible flop open and put a scripture. I always want that to be the scripture they put their finger on. Esau was a hairy man. Mm. Did that bless everybody else? Is that just me? Right. So he blesses Jacob. Almost before Jacob had left his father, Esau returned. Esau prepared a delicious meal and brought it to his father. Then he said, sit up, my father, and eat my wild game so you can give me your blessing. But Isaac said, who are you? Esau replied, it's your son, your firstborn son, Esau. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably and said, then who just served me wild game? I have already eaten it, and I blessed him just before you came. And this is the part I don't understand. And yes, that blessing must stand. To me, if I'm, if I'm Isaac, I say, well, um, I cross out Jacob's blessing because he lied to me and he tricked me and all this. So Isaac, you don't, I mean, Jacob, you don't get the blessing. I'm now going to give it to Esau. But see, here's the part that go. this is not American culture. This is part of our reason we struggle with this. Apparently, this blessing from a father to a son is a spiritual contract written down in spiritual realm that goes beyond our understanding, and it can't be changed. I don't understand that. I didn't grow up in that context. But that kind of stuff has... has got in my head and really messed with me over the years. In fact, when Lynn and I began to name our children, we were very intentional about naming our children and naming them biblical names that meant specifically something that, that was, was the direction we wanted their lives to go. Something else that we did, and I didn't understand this, but I got it from this scripture right here, is as our kids began to graduate high school and leave, we sat down with them and we blessed them. And I did the best I could to see how a biblical blessing from a father would look and some of the, the elements of it and what, what is important, what is not kind of stuff. Because I, I don't understand it totally, but when a father, and we don't see this in Scripture from a mother, but when a father intentionally, spiritually speaks over his children, it comes to pass. And that's all through Scripture. I don't understand that, but it happens. And so we were very intentional with our children about this, to bless them. Now, now this has been taken too far in some of the charismatic mentalities to where people will say, well, um, if you, uh, anytime you ever say anything, it automatically happens, that your words have so much power, they always happen under every circumstance. Guys, that is not scripturally accurate, okay? That's... That is, um, that's closer to voodoo than Christianity. You might as well go get you a doll and stick pins in it because that'll potentially work too. That's the same kind of thinking. Years ago, I was interviewing at a church to be the pastors 20-something years ago. And, and um, I, I'm doing a question and answer kind of thing. And um, this, guy, this guy stands up in the congregation and he says, I've got a question for you. He says, you're, say, you're, saying, you're using words like, I, I hate when this happens, or I don't like this, whatever the case is, or this is silly or goofy or whatever. And, um, and he said, knowing how much power your words have, um, don't you worry that all that stuff's going to come true? I said, I don't know. We could try it real quick and see. 
um, there was a floor monitor sitting there, and I said, I'm going to declare to this floor monitor, you're a banana. I said, no, I guess it doesn't work. And he says, yeah, it may be a banana. You just can't see it yet. I'm like, you. I didn't go there. But I had already also decided in our heart we weren't going to be taking the church. So I felt, I felt free to, to say that. But here's the thing. That's just stupid. That's going too far. But fathers, please listen to this. When you intentionally speak something over your child, you're, you're putting that into their spirit and into their mind. And you've got to be careful about that. When you, you're, you're this covering, when you speak something into their, I'm saying intentional, I'm not saying goofing around. I, I always gave my children a hard time. Oh, I still do. I don't mean like that. But when you intentionally say to your child, you're stupid or you're smart, and you're intentionally trying to push that in, that actually gets pushed into their spirit because you're the covering. You're the covering. So we got all our children together as they graduated, each one of them individually, and I did this, and I was very intentional about thinking through what I was going to bless my kids with. And then we also let the rest of the family do it too. It was a dinner. We had planned it. We do this, and I would say, okay, this is what I bless you with. And, and I would speak into their life of what I want to see God do in their life. Not like occupation, but God's walk and God's plan and, and those kind of things. And then the rest of the family would do that. And, and for the most part, it was, it, was, it was serious and everything. When we got to Emily, her two older brothers struggled with saying anything nice. But we made them. Um, there's something about older brothers. They just can't, right? There's, you know, that kind of thing. But, um, but, but fathers, you are the covering. Please get this. You're the covering. The things you do matter. The things you say matter. Your attitude toward God and toward your family matters. Your attitude toward life matters. You're the covering. The second thing, and, and, and here's part of this covering. Fathers, people, men, I think you're supposed to father more than just your children. I think you're supposed to father some other people along the way. I, I have a father, I have a, a father-in-law, but I also have some other people in my life that have, have taken some father steps into my life. One of the, um, one of the strongest over the years, of the, I, I've mentioned this guy many times. Um, he just passed away a couple years ago. He's 97. His son actually goes to church here. He's usually in first service. But he, um, we would go every week, we'd go get a cup of coffee, and, and I, would, I would talk to him. We'd talk about the Bible and stuff, and I'd always ask him every week, Gene, what, what did you think about the sermon? And every week, same thing. That was a great sermon, Brother Scott. You just had a great sermon, wonderful sermon. Like, okay, Gene, what did I get wrong? That was a great sermon, Brother Scott. You know, and I would have to dig a little deeper and dig a little deeper, and finally I'd say, well, when you said this about this scripture, that's not the way I look at it. And then we'd get the Bible out, usually on our phones, and we would study it, and we'd read, and we'd discuss back and forth. And sometimes I realized he was right. I got that wrong. Um, most of the time, I think I was pretty on, on top of it. Most of the time, it wasn't major theological things. It was the way I was approaching the application of it. But he would speak into my life all the time, all the time. He would speak into my life. 
Guys, you, there are, there are, specifically as you get older, there are younger men along the way that need you to be a father to them. They may have a perfectly good father. That's not the point. But they need somebody in their life that can help speak into this. And specifically when they're in their 20s because they still think their father's wrong about everything. You can have some impact. Speak some stuff. Second thing, a father's care. A father's care or lack of care stays with the child for their entire life. I have talked to men in their 60s and 70s that did not have a dad and are still looking for that. They don't know what to do with it. It's not like they're actively saying, I need a daddy. They're they're struggling with there's something that's always not been there that needed to be there. Fathers care. When you care for your children, you're setting the stage for how they're going to care for those that come after. How you parent. You're, you're teaching your children how to parent, even if you're not trying to. And by the way, they're going to remember the most obscure, weird thing that you said or did that you don't even remember, and that's going to set the stage for their life. And they will remind you of it often. Some of you with grown children, you know what I'm talking about here. Genesis 46, verse 28. As they neared their destination, Jacob sent Judah ahead to meet Joseph. This is after all the stuff with Egypt. He's second in charge of Egypt, and now he's bringing his family to be with him. But remember, Joseph just now found, I mean, Jacob just now found out that Joseph was alive. He thought he was dead. All of his brothers had, had, had tricked him, come up with this story, tore his robe up, did all this stuff, sold him into slavery, and, and Jacob thought Joseph was dead. And now all of a sudden he's about to see his grown son, most powerful non-Pharaoh person in the land. Wow. I see these stories all the time where somebody... Uh, I just read one just a couple weeks ago where this girl, these, these people were murdered and their daughter was an infant and disappeared and never found them. She's 42 now and just was told the whole story and was given the opportunity to meet her grandparents. Didn't know. Didn't know any of this. How about that? This is, this is the kind of thing Jacob's dealing with. When they finally arrived there, Joseph prepared his chariot and traveled to Goshen to meet his father Jacob. When Joseph arrived, he embraced his father and wept, holding him for a long time. Men, I see, I see some of you sometimes, I'm not saying you in this room, I'm saying men in a general sense. I see men struggle embracing children embracing. You know what sometimes your child needs? Just for you to hug them. They don't need anything else. They just need you to hug them. You don't have to know the stuff and know the right answers and everything else. They just need you to just squeeze them. My oldest son has become a power lifter. He's thick. With two C's. He is thick. And, uh, and um, <laughs> but when I see him, I walk up and I just wrap my arms around him. 
I squeeze him as hard as I can. I'm still stronger than him. He's just thick. <laughs> Don't tell him I said that. But I, I, just, I just love my son. And to me, I still see that, that five-year-old, right? He's almost 30. I still see that five-year-old. But I just, I just put my arms around him. I just squeeze him. I do the same thing with my son that lives here. Sometimes I just hug him. And he just stands there going, I'm like, you're 25. Grow up and put your arms around me. And Emily, we hug every 20 seconds. So <clears throat> every time she walks by me, hi, Dad. But you, you know what, dads? So I know sometimes we think, oh, it's, you know, I've got to be the man. I've got to. You can, you can t- even, even boys, dads, you can teach boys to be men. I mean real men, not some kind of emasculated goofiness that society is producing today. But I'm saying real men, biblical godly men. And you can do that by hugging them. You can do that. Sometimes your children need to see you cry, Dad. Not all the time. They don't want a sissy for a dad. (laughs) Luke chapter 15, this is the story of the prodigal. I love this. I love this little part of, um, of uh, when he, when he the, the, the prodigal has gone off, done, done his own thing, spent all the money, all this kind of stuff. And then he says, so when he returned home to his father, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Isn't that really the heart of a father? Some of you in here, many of you, I've heard your stories. You've had children that just just lost it, jumped into sin, did their own thing. Some of you were those children. And then one day they come back to Jesus. See, it says that while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. You know what that tells me? Not just that moment or that day, that's too coincidental, but the father had been standing there waiting and watching for for the son to come home. And this is what he does. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. We were just talking about this yesterday. I don't remember why, but with my middle son, he, he did go out there for a while and do some crazy stuff. And he was broke, and it was all his own fault, he'll tell you that. But he was in a bad place, and Lynn and I were very powerless to help him. Dad, you've been there. You know what this feels like. And... The, the day he finally just broke so bad and drove all the way back to Colorado in a car, I don't know how it made it, broke down the next day. When he walked in the door, it was everything for me. I don't care if you're 80 years old, you have a, you have a place in my house, and I'm going to embrace you, and I'm going to tell you about Jesus all over again. He did. He got the sermons every day. But... But that's, guys, the father was waiting. And what did he do? He went and hugged him. Dads, don't, don't be worried about that. Don't be afraid of that. When I first met Linda's family, this is, they have this big family reunion every, back in those days every year. And, and, um, and Linda and I were dating, and everybody was already saying, oh, they're going to be together, that kind of thing. They're going to get married. And I said, we were only 19 at the time. But uh, I went to see her family in, and, um, at this family event. And, and she had, at that time, one of her uncles has passed away, but she had three large uncles, um, very large, hairy uncles. And um, they're all her mother's side. They're mother's brothers. 
And uh, I, I walk in, you know, and I'm walking in these guys, the first time I've ever met them, and, and I stick out my hand, and this one uncle slaps my hand away and just bear hugs me, brings me in, and I'm just like, you know, and he brings me, he squeezes me, and then he kisses me on the neck. And I was like, I don't know where you come from, Jack, but <laughs> it really bothered me. That's not the way I saw big hairy men interacting with me. And then the next one, he comes out. I thought maybe the first one's just, you know, whatever, but the next, same thing, kisses me right on the neck. And then the biggest one, he was the one, he's the one that's passed away. He was a giant. And, uh, and he, did, he literally squeezes me, picks me up so he can get me closer so he can kiss me on the neck. And uh, at that time, I was very uncomfortable with that. Over time, uh, these men have come to be very, very close in my life. They're big, manly men, and they know how to love. And guys, sometimes as dads, we don't get that. We don't understand that. We need, to, we need to know how to love and to care, not just say we love, but to actually care and to display that love. The third thing here is that fathers also lead. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your fa father's family, go to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. You will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. And then verse 4 it says, so Abram departed as the Lord instructed. That, that was the answer. God said, Abram, I want you to do this. Abram said, all right. Guys, that's, that's leadership. That's submission and obedience to your leader and then you lead. He didn't argue with God. We see that many times in Scripture. I've argued with God. When, when God said to Abram, go, he just said, okay. And he packed everybody up and he went. There wasn't questions. There wasn't, look at this. He says, um, verse 5, he took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, all the people he had taken to his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. He went to Canaan, and then he went to, to Shechem, and then he went to Morah, and, and because he, God didn't tell him where he was going. So he was having to go to the next place and say, God, is this it? And, and God says, keep going. And so then he'd build an altar and he'd keep going, all this kind of stuff. And, and here's something. Now this, in today's society, I have, to be, I have to be careful saying this. This is truth and it's biblical, but it sounds misogynistic. And so people get all heard about this. It, we don't see anywhere in here that he asked Sarah if this was Okay. He didn't ask any of his servants. He didn't ask any of his kids. He didn't ask Lot. He didn't ask anybody. God spoke to him, and once God spoke to him, anything else was going to be wrong information. God spoke to him. So he didn't, again, he didn't just roll over his wife or his kids or everybody. He said, God said this, so let's do this. Father, sometimes... You need to be this leader coverer person, and you don't need everybody else's opinion. You just need God's. Do what God said. I am, I am not trying to give some kind of anti-message um, on communication. I believe strongly in communication. But sometimes you've got to say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. And I didn't ask my house. But we're going to serve God. 
We're going to do what God says. Father, you need to pray in front of your children. They need to hear you pray, even if they aren't interested. We have got to stop asking our children for their permission to be their parents. Some parent back there has been struggling with their kids lately. <laughs> right? You know that's what it is. <laughs> right? Okay. I, I'm, I really believe this, though, guys. Fathers, God has given you this covering, this, this attitude to lead. So lead. Lead in God. Pray. Seek God. Go to God's word with your children. You say, well, my child's only four. Pray with your four-year-old. That's why we have a children's pastor. We believe that children are spiritual people too. That's why we have curriculum in nursery. Father, set the direction and don't compromise on the direction. This is one of the, the things I've talked to my oldest son about with his, with his two children. Is You've got to be consistent. You can't be Mr. Disciplinarian one day and not the next day. You can't be... Wonderful husband one day and not the next day. you got to be consistent because God has called you. It's just laziness that does that. A lot of our problems as fathers is we're lazy. You say, well, no, I'm a hard worker. That's, I'm not talking about work ethic. I'm talking about spiritual laziness. Get in and be who God has called you to be. Don't compromise on that stuff. The next thing is that fathers correct. <clears throat> We are designed by God to correct and discipline. He says, as, is, as the Heavenly Father, He disciplines His children because He loves them. Right? So, our discipline should come from watching God. Now, um, you don't have to open up the ground and, and um, have your children sucked into the ground and close the ground back. Not everything God did with discipline is, our, is, is what we're supposed to do, right? But there are specific things. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. He says, those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. It's amazing to me how easily parents, I'm saying Christian parents in today's society just dismiss that scripture and say, nope, not going to do it. This is physical discipline. It actually says a rod of discipline. It doesn't say spank them lightly onto hiney. It says a rod of discipline. If you spare the rod of discipline, you hate your children. And we just dismiss it. No, God got that one wrong. I love my children, but I don't discipline them. What, what the actual truth is, this is going to be very difficult for us. The actual truth is, is you love you more than you love your children. You love your feelings and how it makes you feel more than you love your children. He says, those who love their children care enough to discipline them. This is the thing. You can come up with all kinds of different ideas of parenting. I, I, I discipline. I, I understand that. Each child is different. They need different kinds of discipline. Um, our, child, our, our three children are very different. Uh, if we sent Isaac to his room, like, Isaac, go to your room and don't come out, he'd be like, thank you. And, and he loved it. You send Jonathan to his room, and he would stand at the door and look out and cry the whole time. Right? So I understand different kinds of discipline. But here's what we do know. Time out is not mentioned in Scripture. It's not bad. It's not bad. But it's not mentioned in Scripture. Right? Grounding them, not mentioned in Scripture. It's a good idea. 
but it's not mentioned in Scripture. Whooping their butt, mentioned in Scripture. Now, what we do in today's society is we say, no, no, we've evolved so far. We understand. I read a book. I know more than God because God said it. And this is where parents we struggle with, but we've got to get this. Dads, you've got to get this. Physical discipline has a place in your child's life, even if you think it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Beat my kids. <laughs> Who's with me? Let's beat our children. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but, but here's the reality, guys. Guys, let's, let's be careful that we don't dismiss what God says because we have a better plan. Use the other ideas. Use the better plan. Okay, I get that. But don't confuse that it's not actually a better plan than what God said. And if we're not doing what God said, somewhere along the line, our children will suffer because of our own arrogance. God's plan is still God's plan. And our children need what God said over what we say. So, Rick and I had a conversation about this a couple weeks ago. And he said, we've got all these gifts. The women's ministries, they've been putting a table out front and they give it to them as they leave. Should we do that? We talked about it, we thought about it. And I said, well, Rick, this is what I think. I really like when the men have to come up here and stand up here really uncomfortably and be stared at. And he said, I like that too. <laughs> so dads, please stand. Come up here and stand along the front facing out. <laughs> and I'm just doing this for you, dads. We're just doing this for you. Yeah, I think all the shirts should stand on the same side. <laughs> shirts to my right. Yeah, don't confuse that with this is a shirts and skins game, okay? <laughs> keep, keep your shirt on. I like that. Oh, he's got his children on his shirt. That's a dad that cares right there. <laughs> I, think this, I think this is hilarious. All right. Dads, here, here's what we're going to do. You get, don't grab it now, but you get, one of the, you get one of the things behind you. Come on, Aaron. Oh, Aaron's not a dad. He's just a shirt wearer. You're not a dad, right, Aaron? So you get one of these things behind you. You either get a bag of coffee, and I think some are beans and some are ground. Am I right about that? Um, and then you get, or you can get one of those... Uh, book marker things in there, okay? But um, can we have everybody in the building stand? There are fathers represented, there are families represented by these fathers. There are families here that fathers are not here. There are families here that fathers are no longer alive. There's all kinds of layers of this. There's some guys up here that didn't know their father. Some are very close to their father. But we can all father. Guys, we can all father, every one of us. So let's, let's figure that out. What is the next step? You say, my kids are grown. What's the next step? What's the next father's step? 
Lord, I ask you to bless these guys. Lord, these are some amazing men. And God, I know from your scripture, I know you're proud of these men. Not because they've done everything right. Not because they've been the greatest husband or father or or even man. Lord, you created them in your image. You're the father. And you just love to run up and hug them. So Lord, put in their spirit, deep in their spirit right now, every one of them. You're proud of these guys. Speak that into their spirit right now. That you've got a plan that is unfolding, will continue to unfold. So guide them and lead them. Give them wisdom. Some of these guys have little kids. They're just starting this out. Lord, give them wisdom. Give them, um, give them consistency. Lord, help them not to get too mad. Help them not to get too sad. Lord, help them not to be confused. And guide them and lead them. They can do it. You know it. You know it or you wouldn't give them kids. So God, help these guys older ones to reach back a little bit and be a covering for some men coming along the way. And some of these guys here have great um, parenting experience. May not have done it right, but they learned. And Lord, they can reach back and they can help some of these guys with kids. So give them that. And God, I thank you. I thank you for these men. So bless us with your spirit. Bless us with boldness. We thank you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Why don't we give these guys a hand? All right, before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are that they're here. We will see you Wednesday night.